We think women need to talk more openly about money because money really matters. It shouldn't be embarrassing or confusing. Join the conversation. We'll be discussing a whole range of topics which will help you get comfortable with your finances. Money Matters, brought to you by AJ Bell. Hello, welcome back to the AJ Bell Money Matters podcast. I'm Laura Souter and I'm joined as ever by Danny Houston. Hi, Danny. Hi, Laura. Can I just say that as I'm sitting here, I'm watching the snow fall quite a lot outside my window and I'm really, really tired of the cold and the damp. My kids are off. They're upstairs in their bedrooms. It feels like COVID all over again, Laura. And I must say, I'm dreaming of a sun-soaked holiday. That is absolutely your jam, I know. Oh, 100%. I have a colleague who's on holiday on a Caribbean cruise at the moment. Keep sending me pictures and (laughs) it's very unwanted. Thinking about muting him. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that kind of a holiday I can really get behind. And if you're talking about something fabulous, then most of us do need to save up for that. And handily, this episode is going to be all about starting those savings habits and in particular, picking the kind of account that might be right for your savings journey, because it's not easy, Laura. It's quite complicated. And I know most of us, particularly when we start saving, are probably just going to go to our bank and just get a savings account. And we know that that's particularly the case for women. So women are much more likely to stick to cash rather than investing um, for various different reasons. But yeah, it's definitely a bit of a minefield. And I think when you're like us and you work in the finance industry, it's because you're working with it every day and you have an understanding of it. It's easy to forget that lots of people do not understand the jargon, don't know where to get started. And that is exactly what we're here to help with. So I know that when I have conversations with my friends and they're saying, what actually is an ISA? And which, (laughs) do I need a cash ISA or can I just have a cash savings account? Or how do I get started with investing? And those are always very good wake up calls for us in the industry as to what people are actually navigating before they get started on their investing journey. But hopefully we've got lots and lots of help for you in today's podcast, but also across these series of podcasts. Yeah, for this episode, we have drafted in Charlene Young, pensions and savings expert from the Money Matters team, the team here at AJ Bell, to help you get to grips with all the different accounts. But All of that is to come because we are going to start with pensions. It has been all over the news over the last couple of days. Um, Lots of stuff to chew over. Um, So we thought we'd just sort of kick off with with some of the big things that have, uh, have been talked about. Exactly. And actually, speaking of my group of friends, a lot of this pension news hit our WhatsApp group this week, and it wasn't me talking about pensions. And so really highlights how some of these headlines really resonate with people. And I think one of the key things that we're going to try and do through this discussion is for it not all to be so depressing. Um, We all know that headlines like to have a dramatic statement. And some of the figures, don't get me wrong, are a bit alarming and are a bit depressing. But I think what's really important is that we don't just see those figures and think, oh, God, that's depressing. I just can't think about my pension or I'm so far away from where I need to be. It's not worth engaging with. Because actually, even if there are some depressing things in there, there's lots of tips and tricks and there's lots of help that people people can get out there. But let's go through some of those 
maybe slightly depressing figures. Um, so Danny, <laughs> let's start with the headlines suggesting that the pension age is going up. Now, what does this actually mean and how likely actually is it? Because I think we have to be really careful about seeing a headline and assuming that is just going to be the case and that is fact, don't we? Well, absolutely, because I saw the headline and I immediately got my calculator out and worked out that if, as some of the headlines have suggested this week, if the state pension age rises to 71 and it comes into force in 2040, then I will have to work until I'm 71 in order to claim the state pension. Now, I think that this is, first of all, a really important thing to clarify When we're talking about the state pension age, we're not talking about the age at which people can retire. Though, of course, you can't usually access your private pension until you turn 55. If you're yet to retire, remember that changes to 57 from 2028. We had this report that was put out by this very influential think tank called the International Longevity Centre. And it's been looking at changes to demographics how the population is ageing. Of course, we know lots of over 50s left the workplace during the pandemic and haven't returned. We've spoken a lot of um, over the past few months about issues that that is having on the jobs market. And this group looked at what is called the dependency ratio. So that is how many people are working versus how many people are retired. And if you look back to 2000, they said it was about 20%, which means that there were five workers per retiree. Today, the think tank reckons it's more like three workers for every pension age person. And it's likely to rise to one worker to each retiree by 2050. That is unless changes are made. And that's the reason that 2040 date has been floating around, because that is when there might be too few workers to financially support pensioners. Now, will this happen? We know that the pension age is going to rise in 2028 to 67. We know there was a lot of talk um, last year about whether or not the pension age would rise to 68. The government has put off that until after the election, whichever party is in power will have to wrestle with that one. But we also know that the impact of inflation, particularly because of the triple lock, which um, boosts pensions by either 2.5% inflation or uh, average earnings, it shot up by 10.1% in 2023, is due to rise by a further 8.5% in April, taking it to £11,501 a year. And the Institute for Fiscal Studies reckon that the triple lock has cost the Treasury an extra £11 billion a year. And when we are talking about finances for the Treasury, as well as many of our finances being pretty tight, then you can understand why there is a huge focus on pensions. There has to be a conversation about how the state pension is funded, but clearly For people seeing these headlines, they they might have been scared, Laura, by thinking, oh, my gosh, 71, I'm just going to have to work until basically I drop. 
Yeah, so at the moment, it's kind of looking at that problem, looking at that conundrum of the ageing population and the hit to the Treasury's finances, suggesting potential solutions, but absolutely nothing is set in stone. The government hasn't come out and said this. So it's kind of an interesting think piece and interesting to raise the issue, particularly as we're in a year where there's going to be a general election. But people do not need to worry that this is happening imminently or even going to happen at all. Yeah, I mean, I know I sort of saw that immediately and and started doing my own calculations. And I could imagine quite a lot of people would be doing similar. But the government does have to give us 10 years notice if any change is going to be made. So it's not going to catch you on the hop. But I think the important thing that we always say with this is don't just bury your head in the sand. It, you know, you need to think about the kind of lifestyle that you want to live in retirement, when you might want to retire, how long you think you're going to be able to work for, and what you've got in your pot right now, you and your partner. Because there are often discrepancies, as we've spoken about many times on this podcast, between what men have in their pot and what women have in their pots. Definitely. And that was one of the other headlines um, that caught my eye this week in this week of bumper pension headlines. So the headline here was women will need to work 19 extra years to retire with the same pensions as men, which is a lovely depressing headline if you're a woman. Um, But obviously, it comes as no surprise to us at Money Matters. We've done research on this. We've done research on this gender pensions gap. Um, we came up with slightly different figures, but it shows the same trend. And a lot of it is basically women earn less over their careers and over their working lives from a multitude of different factors. And lower earnings translates into lower pension contributions, which translates into smaller pension pots when you come to retire. Like I said, there's lots of different reasons for this. And actually, we've got some specific podcasts covering this gender pensions gap and this whole conundrum. Um, You can go back through our back catalogue. But some of the things that were highlighted in this is that women's pensions assets were less than two thirds of men by their late 50s. So this is in this report from the Pensions Policy Institute, a well-respected organisation. And it's effectively, you know, women earning less, taking career breaks, working part time, but also not prioritizing their pension savings. And so there's an element where it's societal factors and lifestyle factors in terms of working patterns. But there's also an element, I think, where women really need to, and I'm kind of talking on averages here, um, women really need to grasp their pension savings, engage with it, work out if they are going to have enough for it retirement and and prioritize it as well and I think kind of like I said at the outside it's very easy to see these figures and think oh well it's just impossible but actually if you think about the kind of retirement you want and the kind of things you want to be doing in retirement and then save for that save for your future self that's much more motivational than just thinking oh well there's no hope and then when you get 10 years out from retirement or five years out from retirement realizing you've got a big problem on your hands so while you could see some of these figures as depressing I really think they can be used to kind of light a fire under you serve as that spark to kind of think I need to tackle this thing that's been on my to-do list for a while am I paying enough into my pension could I pay more in is my partner paying lots into his pension and I'm not paying that much into mine and why has that happened and you know really ask some of these questions and have some of these conversations yeah I think 
having those conversations, it is something that I think the younger generation is now doing far more than women of my generation did, and certainly my mum's generation. So that is a really good thing. And talking about headlines that are depressing, but actually can give you a real kick up the butt. The one that came this week saying that the cost of enjoying a moderate standard of living in retirement has risen by £8,000 a year, it it really made my ears prick up. And I also know that a lot of my mum friends also got in touch to say, you know, well, it's probably no surprise because the cost of living has gone up for absolutely everybody. So this is um, another group, the Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association, PLSA. They were taking a look at the latest retirement living standards. And yeah, I mean, on the face of it, it does make for pretty grim reading. But the one thing that it did do, which I found really interesting, is that it absolutely sort of made me think, about the kind of retirement I wanted. And they put numbers on the amount of money that you would need to have that kind of retirement, whether or not it was the minimum level of retirement, the moderate or a comfortable level of retirement. And just to break that down, I know that you've been talking a lot about this as well, Laura. I think most of us, when we're thinking about retirement, we're not thinking about the minimum. We're we're probably edging moderate to comfortable. We want to still be able to go out on, you know, a foreign holiday. We want to still be able to have um, a, a decent car, three year old car replaced every five years. You know, those kind of things. Just being able to to go out on an evening. Um, And in order to be able to have that standard of life, it was really helpful to see the pot that is needed, the annual expenditure. So just to give you an idea, for a minimum standard of retirement, a single person would need an annual expenditure of 14,400. Now, when you realize that the state pension is 11,500. There's already a shortfall there. Although, handily, what we've spoken about the single tax before, well, this is clearly in play here because for a couple on the basic retirement, the state pension would cover it. But then when you start looking further down the line, it's just not going to touch the sides. And then you start thinking about, well, what does that actually mean? What does my pot have to look like in order to fund what I am going to need? And thankfully, some very clever people here at AJ Bell have worked that out. So in order to have a moderate living standard the pension pot you would need to retire with if you are single is £490,000. If you're a couple, your combined pot needs to be £515,000, significantly more if you're talking comfortable, so £790,000 for a single or £890,000 for a couple. Those figures initially, Laura, sound absolutely massive, but it is about starting small. And if you've got a decent amount of time, and and even now I'm thinking, okay, if it's 71, I've got 
20 years in order to add to my pot. And you can add an, a whole lot more to your pot in those 20 years. Exactly. And so I think anyone who's hearing those figures and is slightly daunted by them, my top tip would be go online, find um, either a pension calculator or just a simple compound interest calculator. If you Google those, you'll be able to find them. Um, Plug in how much you've got in your pension at the moment and then put what your expected return is and how many years you've got until retirement. And then also put you know, have a look at your pay slip and look at what you're contributing to your pension at the moment, not just what you're putting in, but what you and your employer are putting in combined. Put that into the details and it'll uh, work out what your pension pot is going to be in the 10, 20, or maybe even 30 years you've got until you retire. And I think you'd be pleasantly surprised by how much investment growth and even relatively small contributions can really boost your pot over a long time period, particularly if you've got a long time until you come to retire. And I think that's a really great starting point. And that shows whether you're likely to be on track, whether you might need to increase your pension contributions. Um, And I think it's a really good way of kind of measuring whether you're doing well for your age, whether you're on track for your age. Um, Because also we've got to think about lots of people will carry on working in some sort of kind of part-time or some sort of capacity um, well into what a traditional retirement would be. And so there's also the potential for that. But yeah, I think check if you're on track is a really great first port of call and you might be pleasantly surprised. And if you're not, then you know, maybe grab a glass of wine, a beer and work out a plan of how you can get back. (laughs) See, I've only been working in finance for three years. So for me, having these figures laid out is really, really useful because when you're not working in finance, it's not often that you actually get to see what do I need to put in my pot in order to have the kind of life I want to live. I'd, I'd mm. never thought really about the numbers per annum of how much I would need in order to be able to live the kind of life I want to live in retirement, to have a foreign holiday, to be able to go and visit my sister out in the States, to be able to go and visit my kids wherever they may be. And if they need a bit mm. of financial help, to be able to support that as well. So I think when you get new stories like this, the, it can be the immediate reaction where you go, no, I'm just not going to engage because it just seems like too big of a mountain. But actually, it can be so useful to actually help you work out in very small ways, just that sort of starting point, just an extra £10 a month. And I'm going to see a huge difference in 20 years time when I retire. Mm, definitely. We're going to talk more about pensions in a couple of weeks' time, in particular, whether you should, and also how to consolidate your pensions, because that is another area that can get really confusing. You might not know how much you've actually got in your pension pot because you've got so many little ones all over the place. If you are based in and around London, don't forget we have an in-person event on Thursday the 7th of March to celebrate International Women's Day. That's going to tackle lots of issues that impact women in midlife. So do pop on the website and sign up. Don't forget to sign up to our newsletter as well because we've got some great offers coming up for you. 
And if you're not at that point in your life, then stay tuned because the next bit might be exactly what you're looking for. We wanted to help anyone who is starting investing for the first time. So there's a wealth of information on the Money Matters website at ajbellmoneymatters.co.uk from articles and previous podcasts. And I should say it's never too late to start investing. This next bit is for women of all ages. But with today's interview, we really wanted to help out those people who are at the first stages. So they're trying to pick which account to get started with. So by this point in the investing process, you will have set out to invest, you'll have picked your platform, which is a bit like picking your bank, but for investing. And now you're faced with lots of options of which account to pick. So we spoke to Charlene Young, a pensions and savings expert here at AJ Bell, to help get to grips with which account might be right for you. So thanks for joining us, Charlene. Let's first list out the different types of accounts. So there's a dealing account, a stocks and shares ISA, a lifetime ISA, and then a pension or also known as a SIP or self-invested personal pension. But we'll probably leave the pension to one side for today because that's a bit of a different beast for a different purpose. But let's tackle each of the other accounts one by one, kicking off with dealing accounts. So Charlene, what is that? Yeah, thanks, Laura. So a dealing account is an account in which you can buy and sell investments, so like funds, shares and bonds. It's sometimes also called a general investment or trading account. Um, they are just different names for the same thing. So with a dealing account, you can pay in as much as you like. You can sell your investments and withdraw cash at any time, as well as being able to transfer investments between similar accounts with other providers. So although you can buy and sell investments in the other types of accounts you mentioned there in the intro, they tend to have added features or benefits and possibly allowances or limits that come with that too. And so people might end up kind of defaulting into that dealing account. Why might that not be the best option for them if they're starting out investing? Yeah, so it's certainly the easiest to kind of understand on paper. So it's understandable why people might sort of lean that way or default into it. Like you say, there's less to say about it in a way. But the the big drawback about using a dealing account as your first or your default option is tax. So income you make on dealing account cash and investments will be assessed for tax as well as any gains or profits you make when you sell the investments. So this is becoming a big issue now for many people with the tax allowances being frozen or even cut in some cases. So let's go on then to the next account that might be more suitable maybe for those people, which is a stocks and shares ISA, or it's sometimes called an investment ISA. Can you give us the basic details here of this type of account? Yeah, so this is our most popular type of account on AJ Bell. So a stocks and shares ISA also lets you buy and sell investments like a dealing account and access your money when you need to, but in a very tax efficient way. So each year you get £20,000 as an allowance that you can pay in across all the different types of ISA. And so then talk us through some of those tax benefits and why it might be a bit more attractive than that dealing account. Yeah, yeah. So you get to keep all of your investment income, so interest and dividends, as well as any investing profits or gains. Um, You can save, invest and access free of tax. So the ISA effectively wraps the cash and the investments in it up away from the tax man. 
And you can invest in exactly the same things in that investment ISA as you could do in the dealing account, can't you? There's no difference in the kind of investments you can hold. No, on the on the platform, it's the same types of investments. Um, officially, if you like, um, HMRC, the taxman does give like a list of qualifying investments for the ISA, but you'll find that it's standard across uh, both those types of accounts. Okay, so then let's tackle the final ISA that we talked about at the start, which is the lifetime ISA. A little bit trickier, a little bit more of that kind of small print T's and C's to it, but it has a dual purpose, doesn't it? Maybe talk us through that first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So although it's primarily designed to help younger people save and invest towards their first property uh, in the UK, their first home in the UK, it can also be used to save for later in life or retirement, if you like. So although it's got some great perks, um, it has the most restrictions of any of these account types that we've talked about. So not only on who can have one, so you've got to be between age 18 and 39 when you first open one, but there's a really hefty penalty charge if you want to take your money out before age 60 for anything other than that first time eligible home purchase. that could actually mean that you get back less than than you put in. So it's really important to kind of understand what the account's designed for and how to use it. So for that reason, I'd always say it's best to think of a lifetime ISA as really sort of locking your money away for one of those two purposes. Yeah, and so let's go through those purposes. If you're using it to buy a first home, what's the kind of criteria around that and and what are the perks of, of using a lifetime ISA versus a general dealing account or a stocks and shares ISA like we've talked about? Yeah, so in terms of the kind of eligibility, if you like, um, the main ones are it must be your first home that you're buying in the UK um, and it must be worth less than £450,000. Another quirk that sometimes catches people out, um, less on the investment side, um, but certainly with the cash versions of lifetime ISA is that you've got to have held the lifetime ISA and that means have paid into it for at least a year before you can use it penalty free. Um, but in terms of the perks, the big one towards this is the bonus. So for every four pounds that you pay in, the government will pay in another pound. Um, as you can pay in up to £4,000 a year to the lifetime ISA, that means up to £1,000 in bonus money is up for grabs. Um, That £4,000 that I've just mentioned is a special limit for the lifetime ISA, but it also does count towards your overall ISA allowance for the tax year. So that £20,000 we talked about earlier. Um, As I mentioned, there there are a few conditions covering the property itself as well as you. Um, We've actually covered that in a separate Money Matters article. I believe you've covered that in a separate Money Matters article um, that's available on our website. And you can club together with with another first time buyer, can't you? So if you're buying as part of a couple, you'd both be eligible for um, that bonus from the government, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, there's a few variations. So if you're both first time buyers, you could potentially both use a lifetime ISA and therefore both get the benefit of a bonus. But the property itself still needs to be worth less than £450,000 or less, I should say, overall. Um, you could also use it, um, use your lifetime ISA and the bonus to buy with somebody else who isn't a first time buyer. Um, but again, it would only be your sort of bonus going towards that property and the property still needs to meet that overall value condition. Uh, so let's talk about the other purpose of the lifetime ISA. So people who might want to use it for retirement as an alternative to a pension. How do how does that work? 
Yeah, so the lifetime ISA becomes penalty-free from age 60 as well if you aren't going to use it for a first-time property purchase. So that age is slightly higher than the current age you can access a pension, but the lifetime ISA money will be completely tax-free. So it's an interesting option, I'd say, for self-employed people, particularly those who are basic rate taxpayers, um, as well as anyone who might have maxed out their pension allowances for the year. Um one thing to really bear in mind is that you should not uh, um, opt out of any workplace pension scheme to use a lifetime ISA for retirement instead, because you'll be losing out on that kind of valuable employer contribution. So for, for lots of people, it's very much an add-on for retirement rather than an either or. And there's another option that we've not covered that I didn't actually mention at the start, and that is a junior ISA. So it's probably worth covering that. When might you want to use that ISA? Yeah, so if you wanted to invest for your children or you've got grandparents who are looking at investing for their grandchildren, then the junior ISA is one option. So a junior ISA has to be set up and managed by the child's parent or guardian. But once that's all sorted, anybody can pay money in. So that's why it's often a popular one with grandparents, for example. Um, So as with all ISAs, the money and investments are sheltered from tax or wrapped up um, against a taxman. But the big difference is... With the junior ISA, you're not able to access the money as it's a gift to the child or grandchild that it's for. Um, So really how this works is the account can't be accessed at all until the child turns 18 when it will convert into um, an adult ISA in their own name. So at that point, they can continue saving, investing and managing the ISA themselves or they could actually access the money. So that's just something to kind of bear in mind. Um, The allowance for junior ISAs is separate to your own ISA allowance for the year and it's actually a generous £9,000 per tax year. Um, So now people have got all of that information, they know all about the different types of accounts, are there any other things that they need to be considering before they're picking an account and diving into investing for the first time? Yeah so for most people it will start with considering what you're saving or investing for and how long you've got before you might need the money if it's for something specific. So We've talked about accounts today that are all available to UK residents and all for over 18s with the exception of that junior ISA. And again, we've been talking all about investment accounts and getting invested. So that's money you're putting away for the longer term. But anything less than five years should really be left in cash. So make sure you've got your kind of emergency fund and and your pot sorted before you're thinking about investing. And, you know, we've covered lots um, today in this chat. But if there's anything you kind of want to go back over or actually get a lot more detail uh, on. So if you're looking for like an in-depth look at the lifetime ISA like we mentioned, we've got loads of different articles on the Money Matters website for you to look at. Thanks so much for all of that. And like Charlene said, there's so much more information on kind of getting started on your investing journey available on the website at ajbellmoneymatters.co.uk. Such great food for thought there from Charlene and really clear. And if you are still thinking that investing's not for me, do go back and take a listen to Trish from our last podcast, who is living life on her own terms, thanks to savings choices that she made at a very young age. 
Now, this is normally part of the show where we would have a money dilemma or a money confession, but Charlene shared hers with us in our New Year episode. So go back and listen if you haven't. But I didn't really feel like it was fair to put her under the microscope again. So instead, Danny, I'm just going to throw it to you. Have you had (laughs) any dilemmas since the start of the year, any money issues you've had to tackle with? I do have a big dilemma at the moment, and we've spoken. Let's delve into it about streaming services quite often haven't we and Mm. I do use Netflix and the kids like uh, Amazon Prime as well not least because you can use their Prime services for free delivery but Prime is going up if you want to keep the adverts off which absolutely bugger me and the kids absolutely hate as well because they're just not used to it so my dilemma is we also have Sky which is on the main television Though most of us now tend to consume our TV on tablets or whatever, computer screens, except for my poor husband who loves films. And I am now facing a dilemma of, do I save what is over £50 a month on a subscription which primarily only he watches and just keep the streaming services, or do I keep that for him? Because he's got loads and loads and loads of stuff recorded on the Skybox as well. Oh, that's tricky. Tricky dilemma. The money saver in me says, buy him a DVD player and some DVDs from the charity shop and that's as good. <laughs> Cancel that subscription. <laughs> but then I feel so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but that's I am thinking about it. not listening to this. <laughs> I always think with these things, though, it's, unless you're on a really good deal at the moment, it's always a good idea to cancel it and see whether you miss it. And there'll usually be like a new sign up joining, you know, bonus or special offer where if you've got rid of it and after three months he's really missing it and he wants to sign up again, then there's probably a cheap offer that you can do. So maybe cancel it. See if he misses it. Maybe tell him before you cancel it. Uh, (laughs) And then you can always sign up later. But you might be pleasantly surprised. On our next episode, I'm not putting you on the spotlight this time, Laura. I shall get you next time. (laughs) On our next episode, we're going to feature a very special guest. So do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts or sign up to our newsletter so you never miss any of the gossip or miss out on any of our events or special offers. And that is it for this week. Remember, if you can join us at our in-person event in London on March the 7th, you'll need to register via the events page on our website. It is free. There is fizz, but places are limited and selling quickly. As always, do get in touch with any questions, ideas, comments. We'd love to hear from you. We're on all the usual social media channels, and you can also email us at hello at ajbellmoneymatters.co.uk. We'll see you next time. Before you go, please remember this podcast is for educational purposes. And the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of AJ Bell. The podcast isn't telling you if a certain investment is suitable or not. Don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that how you're taxed will depend on your individual circumstances and rules can change. The way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.